This is Maine Coast Doc Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news and stories from Maine's working waterfronts. This podcast is brought to you by the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. I'm your host, Ben Martens. To kick off this episode of Doc Talk, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who've been listening regularly, sharing, and helping to grow our podcast. We are always looking for interesting people to talk to or stories to tell. So please keep reaching out and letting us know what you think. It's always greatly appreciated. I recently participated in a really interesting workshop, and I don't say that often. But the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Management Council organized a climate change scenario planning workshop to help fishermen and managers and scientists envision what the fisheries along the Atlantic coast might look like in 10, 20, or 30 years, depending upon what happens with climate change. And it was kind of a glorified creative writing class, but really focused on something I care deeply about governance and management issues related to climate change and fisheries stock distribution. I know, very exciting stuff. The reason I bring this up is because a consistent drumbeat throughout our work is climate change and its impact to the fishing communities of Maine. It's not always right in front of us, but every conversation, policy decision, stock assessment has climate change looming in the background or pushing or pulling the results or the decisions in different ways, even just with a fisherman saying, things look weird this year. Every year I have another fisherman saying, things just look weird right now. Things are different. And so fishermen get invited to a lot of conversations about climate change because they are seeing things differently out in the water. But mostly those conversations are just focused on what they're experiencing in their lives, in their work, in the Gulf of Maine or in the Atlantic. And so like something like that would be the annual climate roundtable that the Island Institute has held for many years. Or they're invited to participate in conversations like the one that I just participated in, where they're looking at the impacts of climate change on science and management and community and how we plan to adapt to that future. Fishermen are rarely invited to talk about solution building. How can fishermen be a part of climate-friendly food systems and help solve climate change? I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've invited into one of those types of conversations over the last decade. That's why I asked Sarah Schulman to join me for today's podcast. She is starting something really interesting that has the opportunity to put fishermen in a different part of the climate conversation. Instead of being victims or impacted parties, Sarah is interested in helping fishermen become advocates for change and drivers of solutions. Sarah came up and visited us in Maine and shared some of her work, and I walked away pretty inspired. So I asked her afterwards to join me on the podcast and share some of her story and goals, and I hope you enjoy the interview and leave as inspired as I did. I've invited Sarah to join me today to chat about a new project that she has underway, the Fishery Friendly Climate Action Plan. Did I get all those words in the correct order, Sarah? That's correct. Yes, Ben. Awesome. So Sarah, I'm going to share a little bit of your background before we start this conversation, because I think it helps set the stage for how you got into this project and because the path you took is pretty interesting. And please jump in if I get anything wrong. 
So right now, you're the principal of Shining Sea Consulting, which focuses on projects in the fisheries world around social science and research, communication. You've written a couple of books on fisheries and the food system. You've been a deckhand on a number of different fisheries around the United States. You founded this really cool nonprofit called Eating with the Ecosystem out of Rhode Island. And through that and also your consulting work, you've been involved in a, not, a number of different interesting research projects over the years. And... Uh, I think that's kind of your Wikipedia definition. But how do you introduce yourself? Sure. Well, I when people ask me what I do, it's not an easy question to answer. So I usually say I'm a commercial fisherman, and that means a lot more than just going out and catching fish. I'm certainly not the only fisherman who earns a living by commercial fishing and spends my non-fishing time doing advocacy on behalf of the industry as a whole. You have a bunch of board members, every single one of whom I'm sure is that same kind of person. And really everywhere you go into every fishing community across the U.S., you find people who are so, so devoted to, to our, this, this fishing heritage and these livelihoods and these ecosystems that we all hold dear, that they are spending a lot of their time doing whatever it takes to protect them. So that's what I do. And the three issues that are most important to me that I've chosen to focus my work around, whether it's social science and research, whether it's communications, whether it's advocacy, are climate change, fishery habitat, and supporting the next generation of seafood harvesters. That's great. So walk me through where you came from. How did you get in this spot of the world, in the fisheries world in particular? Yeah, well, I didn't grow up in a fishing family. So I grew up in Washington, D.C., and without any exposure to to the fishing industry and dropped out of college after my sophomore year and uh, wanted very much to be an environmentalist. And what exactly that meant to me, who knows, because I was 20 years old, but I found myself on the coast of Chile and bouncing around, no, no life plan, but knew that I needed something I could latch onto that would ground me. And I met some small scale commercial fishermen down there who worked out of dove for shellfish, sets gill nets, you know, which they pulled by hand. They called themselves artisanal fishermen, which was a term that really intrigued me. And I just sort of then and there on the spot fell in love. And it's an infatuation that has never subsided. And they were working hard to advocate for, for their ecosystem, for their bay. And I just thought that is an environmentalist. That's what I want to be. And so I have spent the, 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 you know, the 22 years since then striving to be as cool as they are. And hopefully I will achieve that someday. But I just admire so much the, the passion that fishermen like them, you know, all around the world have displayed when it comes to defending the marine environment. And we see a lot of that. I mean, this is sort of going to segue into the fishery friendly climate action campaign, but we see that passion displayed every day by the fishing community, for example, in the Gulf of Maine with the Protect the Gulf of Maine initiative that, that I know Maine Coast Fishermen's Association is at the core of to raise some serious questions about how offshore wind energy is being deployed in special ecosystems like the Gulf of Maine. So like I said, you know, there, there is a long history and there will be a long future of commercial fishermen advocating for marine ecosystems. Thank you for sharing that story. It's something that I connect to as I share a similar background. I, I didn't adventure to Chile, but I don't come from a fishing family or even a fishing community. I fell in love with this type of work from the environmental and community side. The, the different perspective that fishermen bring to environmental stewardship, the thinking of how you rebuild an environment or a fishery towards something better as opposed to kind of um, 
putting in amber, I guess, right? There's some part of the environmental community that wants to preserve and protect and keep things exactly the same. And ecosystems are, are never exactly the same. And with cli climate change, that kind of thought process actually puts you in a position to look backwards as opposed to forward towards a more resilient future. So anyways, so part of your experience has been working as a fisherman. Part is also starting a nonprofit. Walk me through that process, how you started working as a deckhand in Rhode Island, why you started eating with the ecosystem as a response to that experience and, and part of work and how you balance the workload, because that is a lot on one plate. Yeah, that balance is easy. And it's certainly, you know, it, you can be a generalist or you can be a specialist. And I'm definitely in the generalist category. So everywhere I go, I'm always feel like I'm not an expert in anything, but I go a lot of different places and I know a little bit about everything. So I, I haven't really made it past deckhand status in commercial fishing. Much to my dismay, I was always hoping to, you know, own and run my own boat, but that is a full time. And when I say full time, I don't mean 40 hours a week. I mean, literally every waking second, if you want to achieve success as, as a owner operator of a fishing vessel. So that has had to wait for me and it may never happen, but yeah. And I figured out the hard way, how to start a nonprofit, you know, DIYing it just like any fisherman figures out how to be a fisherman, no training, no support, no mentorship, a lot of trial and error, a lot of false starts and dead ends, but eventually that, you know, eating with the ecosystem took off and is now up and running. I'm no longer involved in that initiative. Um, and now what I'm, what I'm focusing on right now in my non-fishing time is this fishery friendly action campaign, because we really don't have any time to lose in being more proactive as an industry about climate solutions as, as the world catches up from 30 plus years of delay, even though we, we very much knew about the problem of climate change, haven't found the political will to do enough about it, which compresses us into a really short time window to address the problem, unfortunately. And that can lead to us making bad decisions that place, you know, our marine ecosystems, our small businesses and our food production in the path of harm. So what this initiative about is about the fishery friendly climate action campaign is to put our heads together as as a commercial fishing and seafood industry and figure out what the most fishery friendly climate solutions portfolio would look like and then advocate for that. You are going to have to take this up to the 40,000 foot level for me. What does that actually mean when we start talking about fishery friendly climate solutions? Obviously, fishermen are seeing and experiencing climate change on the water and in their lives. It's impacting when they fish and where they fish and what they're catching, it's changing what they're experiencing and what their expectations are for the future. And now we're starting to see some of the solutions to climate change are also going to impact fishermen and fisheries and rural communities and fishing communities. So how do you start bringing these very busy fishermen into the conversation about addressing climate change and not just in like a token way where they're used as examples of impact. How do you start doing the solution building around climate change with fishermen? What does the rubber hitting the road look like or the boat hitting the water, I guess? It's a really good question. And that's one that I'm trying to figure out right now too. So this fishery friendly climate action campaign only really began in earnest within the last eight or 10 months. And it's so hard. Fishermen, like you said, we're getting it from both sides in terms of the climate itself changing. Um, 
And what's, you know, the hard part there isn't necessarily, the hardest part isn't necessarily the fact that the climate's changing, but the fact that oftentimes our science and management isn't adapting as fast as the ecosystem is changing, which sort of causes a disconnect between how we're able to harvest and, and what the ecosystem is, is, is delivering to us. So that's happening on the one hand. And then as you, as you pointed out, we are also now being forced to contend with the impacts of some of the primary solutions to climate change that have been proposed. Offshore wind is already on our doorstep, but there may be others as well. I mean, you hear in the rhetoric of sort of the climate solutions world more and more these days looking to the ocean to solve this crisis for us. So that could, you know, that will mean offshore wind. It could also mean things like industrial kelp farming that have the same effect of displacing fishermen. It could mean, you know, different forms of geoengineering that might have untold ecological impacts, you know, all in the name of, of, of solving climate change, but certainly with some collateral damage on marine ecosystems and people who depend on those like us. Where was I going with this? Oh, so you asked about, you can cut out that part. You asked about how to engage fishermen in becoming strong advocates for fishery-friendly climate solutions when we have so much going on. And that is really the hard part. That's it. So we as fishermen are not experts in climate solutions. In climate solutions, what I mean by that word is, you know, a lot of times they're in the space of energy, you know, moving off of fossil fuels through energy efficiency, you know, reduction in, in energy demand, or replacing that kind of dirty energy with clean energy and renewables. It's climate solutions can also include, you know, removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through sequestration, whether it's blue carbon based or agricultural land based things like soil conservation, cover cropping, nutrient management, all of those things are in the bucket of climate solutions and have a varying degree of their friendliness with regard to fisheries and other ecological priorities that other members of the public may have, like maintaining forests or farms or, you know, wildlife. We're focused on fishery here because that's in our wheelhouse. But what's not been in our wheelhouse until now is actually understanding, you know, we're not energy experts. We don't know how like public utility commissions work. We don't know. I mean, we're learning pretty fast how the offshore wind permitting process works through the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. We've had to learn that on the fly and that's stretching, you know, staff time of organizations like yours. Um, to, to try to learn all of that stuff. So it's really a challenge. My goal is to try to do what I can myself and pass along that information to fishermen and then also become a bridge to other constituencies, whether it be conservation organizations, whether it be energy analysts and experts who can help inform us in, in a language that we can understand and, and sort of like connect us with people out there who we are currently not connected with so that we can learn from them and, and hopefully find a way to leverage our very credible voices when it comes to climate change in support of climate solutions that will support or at least be neutral to our fisheries without, you know, overextending ourselves because we really just don't have the time to become experts in everything. You've been working on this project for eight months, 10 months, something along those lines, right? What have you been doing over that foundational period? And then where do you envision your work and energy transitioning into over the next 12 months? That's another great question, Ben. So when we actually started, I started putting together this concept in 2019 with the Commercial Fishery Center of Rhode Island and the Massachusetts Fishermen's Partnership as a Southern New England focused initiative. 
And we got a grant from the Food and, Par Food and Farm Communications Fund, which supports food systems communications work. And then like two weeks later or something, the, the pandemic hit. And so we did nothing <laughs> for two years. We spent that time trying to, you know, get seafood to people in need, just like the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association has been doing and, and organizations across the country have been doing to try to support both our fishing communities and households in our communities that, that need that protein. So I picked it back up in earnest about sometime in fall 20, yeah, fall 2021. And at that time, the, you know, the front page news was the Build Back Better Act. It looked like it was going to happen. It looks like we, you know, we were finally going to get some comprehensive federal climate action for the first time ever. And so I thought, well, you know, this is, this is our chance to have some influence on how our nation addresses climate change and to try to make sure that it's as fishery friendly as possible. But if we're going to target federal legislation, we need to make this a nationwide network. So instead of focusing on Southern New England exclusively, I started building bridges. And my first stop was Alaska. I connected with, I fish in Alaska, in Bristol Bay for, you know, for the last thir 13 years or so. And so I know people out there. So I connected with the Alaska Fishing Communities Coalition Climate Committee, and they helped me put together what we're calling the fishery-friendly climate action agenda, which is a brief statement that basically outlines what it sort of defines what fishery-friendly climate solutions are, a set of criteria. They must be robust climate solutions. They actually have to solve climate change, you know, get us to net zero by 2050, but they have to do so in a way that's not going to damage marine, coastal, or watershed ecosystems that we depend on. They do include things like looking at our own carbon footprint as an industry and providing, you know, the public support and investment to help this hard-to-decarbonize economic sector do its part. So once we had that agenda, then I started going on, on actually in-person outreach trips. Omicron had subsided finally, and there was a window of opportunity. It looked like it might be the, you know, you never know when COVID, some new variant was going to come back. So I took advantage and kind of went nuts just visiting fishing communities throughout the Pacific Northwest and the Gulf of Maine region and had a really grand time. I know I met with you and it was just so pleasant to see and reconnect people after so many years, you know, for example, missing the Maine Fishermen's Forum for what has it been two or three years? It's been a while. And, you know, missing that camaraderie and that connection has been hard for all of us. So basically I just had conversations with people and learned, you know, where are you at on these issues? What does, you know, when you hear climate action, what comes to mind? What would you like to see us advocate for? And what would be a strong narrative that, that fishing communities across the country can align around to, to push for climate solutions that work for our fisheries and not at their expense? And last week I held, held sort of a a roundtable that brought together all of the all of the people I've done outreach with on both East and the West Coast, which was over 100 people, to talk about the next steps for this campaign. Obviously, the Build Back Better Act is probably a no go, and even if some you know scaled back legislation does wind up passing Congress this year, it's the process is not one that lends itself to a lot of constituent engagement. So we're not we're not actively engaging on that anymore. But we've gone through all this, you know, these steps of creating a website and a Facebook page and a fishery-friendly climate action agenda and a really great slogan and a t-shirt, which is climate, climate action led by people in boots, not people in suits. And we've got this phenomenal network of people who have all started thinking about this in their own minds. And so let's not stop here. Let's continue with this fishery-friendly climate action campaign. But what will it be? That's really up to all of us to decide. Sarah, I love that you've continued to push this ball forward because obviously it's something that we care deeply about here in our neck of the woods. 
the Gulf of Maine is warming pretty quick and we are experiencing a lot of change. It, it feels like stuff is happening to us, to the fishing community and that the fishermen are on the outside. And it's, and there certainly isn't much, if anything, really being done by the fishing community in a cohesive way when it comes to talking and advocating around climate change. And especially when you start talking about like creating working waterfront driven solutions to climate change, it's, it's really one of the reasons why I'm interested in the conversations that, that you've started here. So um, thank you. And I'm thrilled that you took some time today to chat. Thank you, Ben. And thank you to listeners for your interest in the Fishery Friendly Climate Action Campaign. Maine Coast Doc Talk is a production of the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, an industry-based nonprofit that identifies and fosters ways to restore the fisheries of the Gulf of Maine and sustain Maine's fishing communities for future generations. For more information about our work, to make a donation, or to listen to previous episodes of Doc Talk, you can visit our website, maincoastfisherman.org.